Hear now the words of, as he calls himself, the preacher in his book, Ecclesiastes. And it's stark that he says the words, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And yet here's also what he wrote from the chapter, third chapter. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable, or another translation is beautiful for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to, to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their, in their toil. Praise the Lord, right? I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything can be taken from it. God has done this. So that all should stand in awe before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already is. And God seeks out what, he has, what has gone by. The word of the Lord. From about the ages of 9 to 20... I grew up in Northern California specifically, well actually my whole life I spent um, up until the age of 24 in Northern California, or 23. But from the ages of nine to 20, I lived in Sacramento, California. Now, that doesn't sound too exciting, does it? In fact, a famous saying of the ex-coach of the LA Lakers was uh, that, that that cow town up there has nothing to offer anybody. And so it was kind of a boring place to live. It's in this giant valley, the San Joaquin Valley. It's right in the middle. Everything is flat. But on all sides, you could see mountains. You could see the foothills before you got over into the Bay Area. And on the other side, you could see the Sierra Nevadas. Now, what this meant was that no matter what season of the year, you could be on some sort of board, either surfing or snowboarding on some form of water in just like an hour and a half to two hours from where I lived. Now, I wasn't much of a surfer. I, I never, I've never even stood on a surfboard. I've tried many, many times to much failure, but I was a huge snowboarder. And so my junior year, I got into snowboarding, and then my senior year, I was going up snowboarding almost every single week. And then the year after I graduated from high school, I went pretty much every single week for all of the season. Now, when you guys think of skiing or when you guys think of snowboarding, you have no idea what you're talking about unless you've been somewhere outside of Michigan. First of all, we don't even really have mountains here. Second of all, our snow tends to be kind of wet and icy and things, and there is nothing, nothing in the world like treading down a brand new, perfectly powdered, covered hill or mountain in the Sierra Nevadas. There is no feeling like it. And so I just loved, loved to go trail riding. And the funny thing is, is that my senior year in high school and the year afterwards, I had been taken under the wing of our youth minister in the church towards the end of my senior year. And he was a huge snowboarder. And so we actually went up every single week the year that I interned after my senior year my freshman year in college, although I didn't go to college uh, at that point, uh, I went, we went and had our meetings on the ski lift. And I remember, I remember so vividly the beauty that you could see from the ski lifts in Tahoe. 
They're amazing. As you're rising up, it's just quiet, and occasionally you'll hear the sound of a skier or the snowboarder go down below you. But you're you're looking out at these grand vistas. You're seeing these snow-covered trees. And so what a phenomenal place to sit and talk to a godly man who knew a lot about the Bible and just talk about Scripture for the 20-minute ride up the ski lift to the top. What an amazing place to explore the beauty of God. And it seemed that no matter what happened, even if the weather got really bad, even if you were going up into a cloud, only the beauty was only magnified by no matter what was going on with the weather. It was gorgeous. Sometimes looking and seeing ghostly trees just appearing out of nowhere against the background of just pure white. It's gorgeous. But beauty doesn't just stand in the Sierra Nevadas. Beauty is everywhere. Beauty is all around us. And all you have to do on a clear night, go up north somewhere where they have less lights than us and then look up into the sky. And you will see the beauty of God's creation in the stars and in the galaxies that we can see from our little planet. You can even look just right in our own sky right before The evening comes in the sunset and see the colors. And Michigan has beautiful, beautiful sunsets. And see the colors paint the sky with these images that that no human creation can even come close to depicting. It is absolute beauty. And how many of you have ever walked out outside of your house in the time where there is a gorgeous sunset and just been stopped in your tracks in awe and just sit and look at the sky And just look at how beautiful it is. How many of you have ever had that experience? All of us. All of us. You could look at something like a flower. You could examine a flower and see the colors and the contours and the symmetry and all the things that were designed into it and how they lay out together in a field or in a pond with lilies. And you can begin to get a sense and 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 an idea of the beauty of God because he was behind that. He created that. Even if you look at human art, all kinds of human art, whether it be music, whether it be poetry, whether it be a good story, a novel, or whether it be uh, a painting or a sculpture or architecture or anything, all of it, all of it is just simply reflecting the beauty and using the beauty that God put into his creation. You could say it a more negative way, and you could say it's humans exploiting the beauty that God, but I think that actually God gave us an inbuilt desire to beautify things because we are made in his image, and he likes to beautify things. And so I think it makes him smile, and it makes him happy when humans create beautiful art out of the things that the the play materials that he gave us to create that art with. And I think it glorifies and magnifies him when we create art that everybody can look at and say is beautiful. Or even when only a few people can look at it and say it's beautiful. Life is full of beauty. Life is full of beauty. We don't talk about this too much. We don't really focus on this in the church. How many sermons do you hear about beauty? One, this morning, right? (laughs) 
But so many sermons focus on the junk of this world, the garbage of this world, the things that are going wrong or the sad things or the evil things, right? The dark things. And hardly ever do we really focus on the beauty of God in his creation. And examine what does that beauty tell us about God and what does it make us know about this creator who has intimately and, and wonderfully knit you together to be who you are, beautiful in his eyes. And oftentimes we malign beauty with our own definitions. We want to say that it's aesthetics that are only could be beautiful or, or it might make us feel some way that it's beautiful. But there's so much more to God's beauty than our subjective experience of it. The subjective experience of beauty shows us something about God, but we need to get outside of our own experience and think a little bit more abstract to understand God's beauty more fully. The first thing I wanted to say about beauty in God is that God is the source of beauty. God is the source of beauty. That means that all beauty, everything that you see that you would call beautiful, emanates from God. It emanates from God. It is God's design. It is God's way. It is God's will which creates, which makes, which happens the opportunity for beauty. And so when you see something that is beautiful, it should make you smile and it should make you praise the one who created the beauty. Because he's the source of it. Now there's a beautiful set of arguments in philosophy to argue for the existence of God. And it comes from the aesthetic or the beautiful. And the argument goes something like this. Because humanity has this regular experience of being in awe at beauty, it must mean that there's some kind of source of that beauty, which means there must be some kind of ultimate beauty. And if there's an ultimate beauty, then we can describe that beauty as being God, the source of all things that we see as aesthetically pleasing or as beautiful on this earth. A lot of atheists throw that argument out, and it really is kind of a logically weak argument, but I really like it a lot because I think that it points to something that is true, that it is God who makes all things that are beautiful and creates all things that make beauty as we see it. But it's more than that. God is the definer of beauty. God is the definer of beauty. So we can, in our minds, look at things or be in awe at something and we can say that it's beautiful, but there's things that we miss that are beautiful too because God has deemed it beautiful, but in our eyesight, it is not. I was driving down the Central Valley, the San Joaquin Valley in California. This is actually a picture from Sonoma, but I had a really hard time finding a picture of rows of things without it being grapes. So this is what we get to see the imagery. But I was driving down the Central Valley heading to a conference in Southern California with a group of college students. I was a college ministry director at the time. And if you've ever driven down the Central Valley of California, San Joaquin Valley, you know that it's full of farmland. And if you've never been there, thank them that it's full of farmland because you have fruit right now 
because it's full of farmland. Most of your produce comes from that area. And so as you drive down the Central Valley, you're passing farm after farm after farm. It might be a huge farm of apple trees, or it might be a huge farm of peach trees, or it might be a huge farm of almond trees, or it might be a vineyard, or it might be just rows and rows and rows of romaine lettuce or whatever it is. But every single one of them have the same characteristic. And that is that they are all planted neatly and orderly in these perfect rows. Because that's what we like, right, as humans. We like to control our environment. We like to have the, the say over everything, to manipulate it to our ends. And we, we like to create things with incredible precision in order. And so we plant these rows so that we can water them more efficiently, so that we can harvest them from them more efficiently. And it becomes a little bit of a trap as you drive down I-5 in California is because as you're passing all these rows, it kind of becomes like hypnotizing as you pass them. And you're just seeing the same image over and over again, flying past you. And as I was doing that, it struck me. It struck me that that's what we humans like to often call beauty. We like the control in our lives. We like to feel good as secure and safe and efficient and productive. And yet, if we were to go into God's plan for creation, a forest, we could not deny how beautiful it is. We would be struck by the beauty of the naturalness, the wildness of the forest. And yet, if you really think about it, it's a giant freaking mess. It's kind of like, God, clean up your room, okay? You're leaving things laying all over the place. There's like logs over here. There's rocks over here. What are you doing with this? And yet, it's, it's awe-inspiring when we see it. God's definition of beauty oftentimes is different than ours. And I would say that it's different than ours specifically because it's often messier than ours. Think about the stories of Scripture. Think about the messiness of the lives of the people that we often honor as the heroes of our faith. I want to point just one out. Think about Joseph. Joseph, who was brought into the uh, land of Egypt through imprisonment because his brothers sold him to slave traders. And then he was working for a rich family and he was blessed in that job by God. And so he rose up to the top of the household. But then because of something he didn't even do, he was thrown into prison. And in the prison, he works so hard and he does everything he can well. And God blesses him. And so he raises to the ranks of being really important in the prison. And then uh, somebody in Pharaoh's home interacts with him and, and he remembers him later. And then Joseph's brought out of prison and he's made a servant of Pharaoh. To the point where he becomes the greatest authority underneath Pharaoh in the entire land. And then his brothers eventually come down during a time of famine to seek food from him because he oversaw the distribution of all that Egypt had stored up because of his work that he had done over the seven years of plenty. And he has his brothers before him. And what does he say to them about their actions those many years ago towards him? What does he say? Somebody remember. What you have meant for evil, God has meant it for good. 
Think about that story. Think about how messy it is. Think about all the trials that Joseph had to go through in the midst of it. And yet his, his experience and his reflection at the end of his life when he was here to bless his brothers and to keep the nation of Israel, the future nation of Israel, alive during a time of tremendous famine was that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. There's another way of saying this is what ugly act you did, despicable, horrible, disgusting, sinful, evil, God made beautiful. God made it beautiful. We went through that when we talked about the Shadowlands earlier this year in January, February, and March. We talked about how God can make beautiful things even out of difficult things. God seems to regularly be making beautiful things, even after, after the ordinary or out of the ordinary, even out of the despicable, the ugly, the evil of this world. God is making it beautiful. That should be something that, that we reflect on daily as we go through this life. That God is making even the most difficult parts of our life, as hard as it is for us to comprehend, into beauty for the end of time. God makes beautiful things. He did it one time before, we know of. When he took probably one of the most horrendous ways to treat another human being. The torture of flogging them, ripping their flesh from their bones, beating them to the inch of, within an inch of their death and then nailing them onto a torture device where eventually they die not because of bleeding, not because of wounds, but they die because of asphyxiation because they cannot hold the weight of their own body to take a breath as they struggle against nails that are in their hands and in their feet on a giant wooden cross. And he makes that despicable, disgusting, horrible, evil act to be the device of beauty for all of humanity, for you, for me, so that when we look at a cross, we don't shudder at the horror of it like those in the first century did. But we get inspired in awe of the beauty of God. Where are you at this morning? Are you in a space where you are struggling to see the beauty of God? Are you in a space where your life seems boring and mundane? Take a second look. Ask for God to open your eyes that you may see his beauty even in the midst of the difficult. I want to end with a passage that we used, Jesus' quote of for our mission series. This is from Isaiah 61. Jesus quotes this passage 
when he talks about what he has come to do. He says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to release and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, garments of praise instead of mourning. In the midst of their suffering, he promises them what he's going to do in Jesus Christ. So much more should we see in hindsight how God makes beauty from ashes, even in our lives. Amen. I know it comes naturally this week because we celebrate something called Thanksgiving, but this week takes some time to sit down and to reflect on God's beauty in your life. Whether it be natural to you and you just know that that's God's beauty or whether it struggles to define it as beauty and, and you have a hard time of seeing it as beautiful, find what God is doing that is beautiful in the midst of even that and thank him for it this week.